Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics. I'm Gareth. I'm Jay. This week we'll be talking about the sadly short-lived Swamp Thing TV series from the DC uh, DC Extended Universe. Um, were you excited about this when they announced it, Jay? I was. I thought, you know, they were supposed to do this horror anthology series, well, not anthology series, but based on the Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson character. I thought, great, it's something that will be a different flavour to what they've already done. And then yeah. this whole weird rearrangement of their entire streaming platform. Yeah, it was kind of weird. When they announced this show was coming out, I felt like, all right, cool, they've they've said they're going to try and relaunch this, the Constantine character in his own series. They're going to try and go for like a Just League Dark kind of vibe. Um, there was the rumours about the Del Toro Just League Dark movie for ages. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, maybe they're finally getting on track with, like you say, doing something a bit tonally different from the other shows because all the other CW shows are so massively linked in together with the tone and the feel and the crossovers and whatnot. I was definitely ready for something a bit different. Yeah, and the other shows can feel a bit exclusive. Like if you're not watching all of them then you're missing something i definitely feel that way now like i i stopped watching flash and a few of the other shows and arrow like quite early on i only made it through one season of legends tomorrow i haven't done any of like supergirl or batwoman or any of that kind of stuff and it's just once you're out it feels really impenetrable yeah. to try and get back into it yeah even now watching the most recent stuff of arrow they they're making references you know every now and then one of the other characters pops up and you're like what storyline are you talking about yeah. um so with swamp thing and for me as well like i'm a huge swamp thing fan yeah I, like, i'm aware <laughs> i've not i've not made any secret of that i'm i'm a huge swamp thing fan like even to the fact i own the original swamp thing and return of the swamp thing movies on dvd <laughs> yeah like i know that's dumb as hell but they were just they were just cheesy classics that i really i enjoyed when i first watched them so this show being announced and especially when they were talking about um focusing on the body horror aspect um and doing more of like a, a physical horror kind of vibe to it and james wan's production company being involved as well like yeah. fresh off the success of aquaman whether you loved it or didn't love it it was a huge hit and he had a lot of money behind him and he's obviously well known from the saw franchises and the conjuring and all that kind of stuff so it's not like they were just dragging some random name in james wan's a huge deal in the com in the horror world yeah and you get, especially when you get to the the first few episodes they nail it the pilot especially the whole sequence with the the body coming kind of growing to life and at reanimating is so well done yeah the um the way that they've done they like it really had that creepy bayou kind of vibe down pat from from moment one yeah like the second you see alec holland puttering around on one of those little skiff boats through the swamps <laughs> and through the through the bayou the whole show feels like unsettling yeah which yeah. you need for swamp thing like it needs to have that kind of don't go near Louisiana kind of vibe. Yeah, and that worked for True Detective season one. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's something that True Detective nailed from from moment one as well. And I thought, all right, if we can get something, at least, obviously it's not going to be anywhere near as HBO level kind of, you know, dark and gritty horror, but if we can at least get something that embraces the vertigo kind of nature of the character, yeah. then we'll be in a better place. Um, Anyone who's not familiar with the with the character of Swamp Thing, he was originally created in 1971. Um, and a lot of people get Swamp Thing and Man Thing confused. They did debut within like two or three months of each within other. Within a month of each other, yeah. believe it or not. Um, and the reason for this is um, Jerry Conway and Len Wein were roommates uh, at the time. That makes a lot of sense. Jerry Conway put out Man Thing as a story first that he co-created he co with Stan Lee for Marvel. And then a month later... 
Len Wein put out a Swamp Thing story. Um, and apparently there was a lot of back and forth and not so much bad blood or animosity, but it was a bit of like, come on, dude, don't you see the similarities? Yeah. Len Wein apparently didn't. He didn't yeah. see he didn't see the similarities. And then obviously as the characters developed further on, there was a lot of difference. But like once you got past the look and the name and that kind of thing, the characters are very different. They are, they are. Uh, it's so strange as well because I remember there's also another character, I think Image came up with him uh, or another company, was it? Pit or no, not Pit. It was like Muck, like some garbage kind of version of like a Swamp Thing guy. Oh, was that that wasn't um, the character wanted, was it? In, in the image, no, no, it was no, a lot, a it lot was, earlier on, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, but it's this, it seems to be this concept that people all fall on of what if an aspect of like leftover refuse or nature or just like congeals into an intelligence yeah it's the um i think it's quite a clever commentary on like the nature of modern society with that pollution and that kind of thing like what will be the consequences of just dumping shite into the into the oceans into the swamps into the into the land and just being like ah it'll it'll fix itself it's someone else's problem it's like well no if you dump radioactive garbage and whatnot all into all these like precious ecosystems who the, who the hell knows what's going to result from it? Look at, um, you know, uh, Fukushima. Yeah. Like all the things that are coming out of there now. Obviously, like Chernobyl, yeah. all the crazy ecosystems that have come out now after yeah. all the radioactive meltdown and that sort of thing. And, and that's only in the short term. God knows what it's going to look like in a thousand years. Yeah, and you also have the refuse waste of the Great Pacific. Yeah, that's it. You've got you've got the floating garbage island of its of its own friggin' nature. God, oh, that's such a creepy vibe, isn't it? It like is. That, it that, is. Um, obviously, we're getting completely sidetracked here, but um, yeah, Swamp Swamp Thing. He's one of those characters who he just he operates on his own time. Yeah. Like when he pops up in other books, other books kind of tonally shift, and they have that darker, slow burn sense of foreboding and dread. Um, and we got that from the show straight away. They really kind of. Even with Alec Holland kind of popping up and being like, "Hey, I'm this cool, you know, devil may care scientist. I'm I'm a little bit disgraced because I've been, you know, some of my theories are a little bit crackpot and conspiracy, but I'm still a, I'm still a cool dude who kind of marches to the beat of my own drum." Even during that, there's a sense of dread of like, "You're fucked." Yeah, you're yeah. so fucked from day you're, one. You're too upbeat for the town you're in. This can't end well. Yeah, so he um he shows up in in the town of uh, Murray in Louisiana. Because there's been like a um, there's a weird infection coming out of the swamp, and he's been brought in by this family, the Sunderland family, who um, they're basically like the the, ma- the patriarchs and matriarchs of this little town in Moray. They yeah. own all the businesses, they run all the corporations, they own the police, they they run everything basically in this little town. Um, and he's been brought in to basically sign off on some findings in the swamp. He basically is like, all right, you come in. We're not going to go through the CDC. We're going to bring you in because your your reputation's in the shitter. Yeah. So we can we can get you to sign off on these documents that basically say we can mine in the swamp. We can take all these different minerals, and we just need you to have a look at them. Whatever findings you find in there, if there's some weird minerals that nobody else is mining, we have this untapped energy source. We can just take whatever we want. Yeah, it's, and it's very much a. A way of signing off officially, but controlling the outcome rather than getting a government agency to do the same thing. Yeah, because it's, it's, that it's, seems to be the whole idea. Is the Sunderlands? They finally get around like episode three or four, explaining what their deal is. So they've 
elite, they've uh, been releasing this serum into the swamp to create rapid growth of trees, which they can cut down for forestry, but it'll also drain a lot of the fluid and lower the rays, creating more land that they own so they can do development deals and also rapid plant growth for the pharmaceutical company. It's like yeah, hitting it. on three different fronts, which in theory sounds great, but as you know, you can see, yeah, you don't uh, mess with nature. That's it. And like, it's such a, it's such a short-sighted, realistic thing that a lot of corporations would do. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we can do this and look at all these things we can benefit from short-term. Yeah, but what's that going to do to the area in the long term? Oh, it doesn't matter. I'll be dead by then, so I don't, I don't care. Yeah, I'm cashing out of this small town and moving on. <laughs> That's it, exactly. Um, and we get introduced to that concept of the rapid growth and whatnot when um, a character called Jason Woodrow shows yeah. up, uh, played by Kevin Durant, who I had no idea was in this. <laughs> no, he just, no he just pops up and I'm like, hang on a second. It's Kevin Durant, what the hell? Yeah. Um, I love Kevin Durant. So I'll, do I. I'll pretty much watch anything he pops up in. Yeah, he's like, in the show Ballers as like the the owner of the LA Rams. Oh, really? Yeah. That's hilarious. And he's such an overbearing presence. You know, he's a tall dude. He's got that like intensity about him. Yeah. And he, when he's bossing one of the main characters around, he's like, oh, he's so overpowering this yeah. guy is like having heart attacks and stuff due to stress it's awesome which is hilarious because his character of um jason woodrow he plays it so different to what he what you're used to from him like he plays it as such a kind of put upon scientist yeah who he obviously believes in his work and belie- he's got a little bit of that dr octopus kind yeah. of vibe where he's like he's a put upon genius who has to lower himself to dealing with his inferiors because he needs funding for his work. Yeah, absolutely. But he also, like, there's an element that they really introduce quite heavily, which is the reason he's working for the Sunderlands is because he needs money for his research because his wife is suffering from Alzheimer's. Yeah, and he's thinking that if he can figure out this advanced regenerative uh, mutagen, he can use it to cure brain trauma and that will lead to a cure for Alzheimer's. That's it, yeah. He's he's thinking kind of altruistically, but also in like a very selfish way. Yeah. Um, and as the show goes on, it just gets more and more um, pushed forward with him just being like, by any means necessary. Yeah, especially as her Alzheimer's progresses worse and worse. Yeah. Um, does the name Jason Woodrow ring any bells for you from the comics? It does, but I can't quite place it. He is later known as the Floronic Man. I knew it because what happens later That's on I'm like, of course yeah of course he has to be someone they now, just pull a character out of left field they would create one when there's one they can retool yeah exactly and floronic man is so integral to the swamp thing and the dc universe in general like he's got massive ties to obviously the parliament of trees yep. which is the whole aspect of the green which they touch on in the show which is like nature kind of controlling the flow of growth and decay and all that kind of thing. So you've got like three three basic elements in the DC universe. You've got the rot, the green, and the red. The red is like nature and animals and yeah. like flesh and that kind of thing. It's kind yeah. of controlled by Animal Man. Uh, the green is controlled by Swamp Thing or whoever the Parliament of Trees chooses as their representative. And you've got the rot, which is kind of death, decay, entropy, that kind of vibe. And they exist in a balance. Yeah, the idea is all three of them are battling for control no matter what, but they keep each other in check. Yeah. So there's that permanent balance between the three. And obviously having three of them, there's a deciding vote. There's al- there's always a tiebreaker vote that goes into that, which is the idea of the checks and balances. Yeah. Um, the main character that uh, Floronic Man tends to deal with these days is not Swamp Thing, though. Uh, Poison Ivy. 
in the nah. current in the current Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy um, storyline, he basically has a ridiculous obsession with restoring Poison Ivy to her former glory. Oh, that makes a lot which of is kind of cool, and, I'm, and I love I kind of love that as the show's happening, and Floronic Man is getting introduced to this whole new world of people. They've got this tie-in comic, which. Yeah. DC usually misses the boat on. <laughs> I was about to say. to say, they tend not to strike while the iron's hot a lot of the time. I wouldn't have been surprised they turn around and went, I guess what, we're cancelling all this stuff because we've got a thing that ties in with it. We can't have things line up that that, that you know, seamlessly. Yeah, and it happens all the time with DC. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you, as you can hear, there is a huge amount of backstory. I mean, even... John Constantine first appeared in a Swamp Thing comic book. Yeah, that's it. Um... The, the thing I really enjoyed with this show as well, um, it's not perfect by any stretch, but I like that they tried to find a way to combine Swamp Thing's DC origins, his Vertigo origins, and tying in so many other smaller level characters without it feeling shoehorned in. Like They managed to get in the Phantom Stranger, Blue Devil. Um, we get a huge... Uh, blending of two different, like two of the contri- contradicting origins for Swamp Thing's main uh, love interest and partner, Abby Arcane. Yeah, like her com- her backstory is really quite convoluted <laughs> in the two in the two different runs, and they found a way to kind of blend it in a way that makes perfect sense. They you know they touch on the fact that she's adopted yeah. as well in there, um, which obviously hints back to her origins from the Vertigo and DC runs as well. Um, I was really impressed how much thought they put into these kind of things. Yeah, and even, like, Madame Xanadu pops up in this, played by Jennifer Beals. No, sorry. Uh, Gerald Prescott. Yeah. And uh, she's another one of those Vertigo characters that DC, since they're being ripening up the Vertigo side of things, they don't really have a place for her. She's popped up in different arcs of Justice League Dark, but she's basically a clairvoyant, a bit like destiny in the x-men yeah she's she's got the she's got the ability almost like the watcher yeah kind of tied in in there as well where she's like doomed it's kind of a cassandra complex where she's doomed to know her own fate as well as everyone else's yeah and it's like well she can nudge things in a certain direction but her fate will always be the same yeah um where she can try and help other people but her fate never changes yeah and it's it's the sort of character that it allows them to interfere and create uh, push points for characters that had been left by the wayside without feeling clumsy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the big thing that most people will know about this um, this show will be that within one episode of it showing, DC announced it being not continued or on hiatus or on the shelf. There was it was every report had a different kind of wording for it. Yeah. Um, there was so many, like, the internet was awash with rumours about this. And I know this is, a, this is a big reason why a lot of people never even bothered checking out the Swamp Thing show is because they went, oh, it's only one season and they've already, they've already announced, quote-unquote, a cancellation yeah. within one episode. It must be dog shit. It's really not. No, it's, it's really not. not. Like, if you're, if you're even a remote kind of horror fan, um, you'll dig the show. Yeah, it's got a really uh, foreboding feel. It's, even when it's pl- taking place at day... The characters never feel like they have a, ah, oh, everything's going to be fine. There's always that tension <laughs> yeah. there. There's never, there's never like a bright sunny day where they're all sitting there going, oh, let's have a beer on the porch or something. It's like, no, you're still dealing with the fallout of all this other insane shit that's going on. Yeah, even the the closer they come is like episode, I think it's four or five titled Brilliant Disguise. It's actually episode seven where 
Swamp Thing has released these spores which allows Abby to perceive him as Alec Holland and he's showing that he can make fruit bloom because it's like his connection to the green and he has a control of nature and they're having this lovely day in the swamp and then they enter into the area where the rot has taken over. Yeah, and, and it, you get this really like, it's like Silent Hill. Yeah. Like the mist kind of descends and you get this kind of like, yeah, you should get the fuck out of there now. Yeah, because it's like, oh, I just need a thing. He's like, no, 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 we, we, you don't uh, you don't feel what I feel. Yeah, and we I have to leave. Yeah, you don't feel what I feel. I can't control what they're going to do. We need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, we've we've glossed over a lot of the main kind of plot elements for, um, for the show so far. Uh, basically, um, Alec... Well, he's while he's investigating stuff for the Sunderlands, he finds all this extra growth and all these other spores and all these other things going on on all the illegal dumping. Yeah, um, and he's basically taking one look at it and going, "This is not right. Like, no. there's, there's an outbreak of um, disease, which is what brings Abby back to the town. She used to live there back in the day with the Sunderland family as an adopted daughter. Um, something happens. I won't spoil what she becomes estranged, leaves the town. Um, she ends up becoming a, um, CDC, um, worker. She deals in like disease control and, um, medical practices and all that kind of thing. So she, she's off researching all these things. When she hears about this happening, she's basically drawn back to the town to try and help deal with this outbreak of this crazy new disease. And that's when she first bumps into Alec Holland, because he's trying to investigate what's causing it at the same time. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of star-crossed lovers kind of vibe. Yeah, and it's one of the, the few times the show kind of oversteps itself because she knows him for literally less than a day. And then, you know, it's episode one, he gets uh, shot, seemingly killed, and then comes back as the Swamp Thing. And she's all like, oh my God, he was such a great guy. And she's overwhelmed by the, the loss. And you're like... You've known him for like maybe twelve hours. Yeah, I I'd f- at first I wasn't okay with that. I thought it was a little bit sudden. And then as they went on, and he showed that she's had a really fucked up life, and she's like a recovering alcoholic, and she's dealing with all this trauma of um, you know her family, what was her family abandoning her yeah. and leaving her to the wolves, and she's been dealing with nothing but like disease and terror and trauma with other people as well. So she's kind of immersed herself in her work. It's like. Well, yeah, she would feel this stronger connection to somebody because she's had nobody yeah. for like the last five, ten, five to ten years. She's been on her own pretty much. So yeah. it's like, well, yeah, it kind of makes sense that she would have such a strong connection to him. Um, what doesn't make any sense is Abby's connection to um, her best friend, quote unquote, Liz Tremaine. <laughs> yeah. Jesus wept. This is one of the worst actresses I've ever seen. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't find her acting that bad, although she, maybe she's it's the, convenient. Maybe it's the writing that's you know bad, but she just feels like she's... Not only she feel to me personally, she felt like she's cashing a paycheck, yeah. just kind of showing up, and she's so convenient. Like you said, she just shows up all the time. She said she happens to be the journalist in the town paper. Yeah, like a, a paper that we never see come out. Yeah, <laughs> that you never see her actually at the desk reporting anything. It's like, well, what are you actually investigating? Like, yeah. where are your bosses? Where's your deadlines? Like, where's any of that? If you're a reporter, she just kind of wanders around the town. Um, like, she's she works part time at the bar that her dad runs as yeah. well, which apparently is an important thing that the Sunderlands need to control as well. I'm like, why? Yeah, you own the entire this, town. Yeah, her entire existence. She's played by Maria Sten. Uh, she's also gay, which. They bring in fairly early, then it disappears, and it doesn't seem to be an, a driving force. They, they bring it in for one episode, and then her partner just disappears. Yeah, after like... finding something for her, she, yeah, she just completely vanishes, and you're like, 
don't doesn't she live with her partner? Yeah, that's it. Like, wouldn't her partner be kind of concerned that she's being threatened by all these like strong arm thugs that work for the Sunderland Corporation? Wouldn't she be worried that her dad, like her partner's dad, nearly got murdered yeah. by like this crazy like infection and all this kind of stuff? Yeah. Like, she's also, I guess, she seems to be like a, a shrimp fisher, so. Surely her livelihood would also be infect- affected yeah, surely by... Surely she'd be constantly under threat by this stuff coming out of the swamp yeah. and that kind of thing as well. Like, yeah, it's really, like, jarring the way they don't follow up on that. And I don't know if whether that's a, you know, a failing on the fact that the show only got 10 episodes and that was going to get fleshed out further in season two. But for this season alone, it felt really kind of underdeveloped. Yeah, and... I started to get the same thing with um, the, the sheriff. Yeah, she's uh, Lucilia Cable played by Jennifer Beals. Uh, I started to, I will say, I started to get that vibe until we learned more about the character and yeah. how much connection she has to the Sunderland Corporation and to Avery Sunderland himself. Yeah, and that becomes its whole, whole own side plot driving yeah. with the rest of it. Once you get more of what she's, what's going on with her and like why she's so conflicted, and like because she, she seems, to, to start with, her character seems really stop-start and all over the place. And then you work like once they reveal her connection to three or four other characters, it's like, oh, okay, that makes total sense. Yeah, like she's got it, she's involved in too many things, and those things themselves conflict. She's the sheriff, but she's helped cover up a bunch of dodgy stuff. Yeah, she's also in a uh, uh, extramarital affair. Yeah, her, and then her son is like the deputy <sighs> in the sheriff's department as well, and she's trying to protect him, but also like make sure that he doesn't go off with Abby Arcane because he doesn't trust Abby Arcane, even though he's got a big crush on her from since they were kids. Yeah. So it's like this whole, like, she's just spiralling out of control because all these elements she no longer has control over suddenly get, like, ripped apart by this by the arrival of this disease outbreak and then the swamp thing, obviously. Yeah. There's suddenly this giant monster roaming around the swamps. You've got all these crazy hunters going out to try and hunt it down and all this other shit going on with it and she's yeah. she's completely at a loss for how to deal with it without like losing more of her integrity and losing her son and her soul in the process yeah absolutely um her son matt cable played by henderson wade i i think was in like season two or three of riverdale as like a, a strong arm for Hiram lodge yeah and this is i found this with the whole season people kept popping up like jake Busey pops up in the final episode and <laughs> because because reasons yeah and uh one of the doctors at the hospital played by tim russ who was uh tuvok on star trek voyager yeah. like this is like a who's who of people from other shows yeah and um abby arcane's like offsider for the cdc is the guy from um, happy death day as well yeah and one of the uh westworld season one he's the tech yeah. who helps upgrade um <laughs> Tandy, Tandy Newton's Tandy Newton, character, exactly. like played by leonardo, leonardo nam he does a great job he's like abby's only friend at the cd so who's been her like rock for the last 10 years yeah it's it. like he's the only person she's still got any kind of connection to and it's like when he gets taken down by this disease it's it's what throws her into complete disarray and obviously kickstarts her feelings towards alec and swamp thing as well because she has nobody else to confide in yeah um, and we shouldn't mention crystal reed is abby arcane she is kind of the main character of the show it yes, all revolves around her <laughs> it really does um which is totally cool like a lot of people i saw a lot of comments online saying they weren't fans of this in particular um if you've ever read a swamp thing comic it's pretty much the way it is normally when it's not an episode about swamp thing dealing with the parliament of trees specifically or like 
team teaming up with Constantine or other members of the magical community and that sort of thing, whether it's unless it's like a really introspective issue, yeah, it tends to be Abby Arcane's the main character, yeah, which is fine because he's not going to wander into town as the swamp thing and be like, oh hey, I'm, I know you're terrified because I'm this big green man, but trust me, there's something happening and you need to deal with it. Yeah, that. and especially once you deal in like once you delve into her history whether it's the original version or the redone New 52 kind of version, like her connection to the Arcane family curse and the history of their family, like her her um, uncle, Anton Arcane, is basically the avatar of the rot. Yeah. So it's like you get this whole thing of, you know, her cursed legacy. Are they, is she going to be forced to join with that and yeah. reject the green or is their marriage foretold by destiny and fate? And it's going to be a marriage of the rot and the green and they'll smother the red and they'll just basically control everything. Yeah. And it's like, this is kind of fucked up. I, li- I like it. Um, yeah, Scott Snyder, that run of Swamp Thing in particular, if you've never read anything and you want to kind of delve into it, that is a perfect jumping in point, in my opinion. Yeah, that's the one I'm most familiar with. Uh, does a great job of involving the animal man like Jeff Lemire as well. Yeah. Incredibly well put together. It's weird to have a comic book that's based around like nature and then have them both be very symbiotic in the same process. Like I find, I find that kind of fascinating that they managed to get it so well lined up that you can read them independently, but you can also read them together and they, po- they totally work in both ways. Yeah, um, we should also mention Alec Holland, played by Andy Bean, um, does a really good job. He only pops up... I was going to say, he's great in the three episodes he pops <laughs> yeah. up in in his actual show. <laughs> and the main Swamp Thing himself, played by Derek Mears. What did you think of the practical effects for Swamp Thing? Loved it. Loved it. Considering how dumb something like this can look, especially, I think it's the kind of show that you need to really think about setting, lighting, and how often the character's going to appear as well. Because yeah. if you've got Swamp Thing on screen 24-7, 365, and in bright, blazing sunshine, it ain't going to work. No. It's going to look ridiculous. Like, even if you make it the most amazing prosthetic effects ever in the cold, harsh light of day, it's going to look a bit daft and really jarring, whereas the setting at night, for the most part, like, it's not obviously, we're not going for a whole werewolf by night kind of vibe where he only appears at night. Yeah. But it totally works just having him pop up in the evening when it's like, you know, shadowy times and people aren't around. It's like, that's when he can operate best. Yeah, and he usually, he's, when he first pops up and he's being intimidating, he's always backlit, so you only see his silhouette and the glowing red eyes. And then when it's in front, it seems to be uh, character lit from below, so you can really get to see the detail. Yeah, and they really drive home how much of a hulking mass he is comparatively like, he's a unit <laughs> I mean it helps that Abby the um, actress who plays um, Abby Arcane Crystal Reed it helps that she's not exactly a giant yeah but uh, but yeah, Derek, Derek Mears is, is a fucking unit yeah. he is an absolute he's like a wardrobe with like moss growing off of it yeah. it's ridiculous um, I thought they did a fantastic job with this especially those first couple of episodes when you first get those transit you know you first get that infection spreading through the hospital yeah and you see like the infection at the um the abandoned cabin yeah so cool it's so well so done. well done like you could just do a whole movie on just that style of like body horror of, yeah like it's almost like a mushroom spore it reminded me a bit of the um the last of us yeah absolutely like had that kind of like spore growth kind of vibe to it um i really enjoyed how um how creepy they made the body horror look. Yeah. Um, there's a whole scene, I think it was episode two and three, when um, the guy in the boat 
Oh. Who's basically Michael Shannon's son? Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. such a creepy-looking dude. Um, yeah, the character of Munson, uh, played by Micah Fitzgerald, he um, he's basically playing a lesser-known Swamp Thing villain called the Rot. Yeah, this is before they introduced the actual concept of the Rot as a thing that actually exists. Yeah, um, they kind of described him just as Bugman in all the production notes. Because apparently they weren't sure if this was actually going to be allowed to be a character they would use or if they were going to have to hold it off for season two. And then they went, yeah, you know what? We're going to do it and we're going to put it earlier on. So there was obviously a lot of like reshoots and replanning and that sort of thing as they went on. Um, they did a great job with this. Like yeah. his his look of like launching bugs out of his mouth because obviously he's hollowed out his inside. So he's just constantly a shifting mass of like insects. Yeah. Almost like that character Swarm yes. uh, from the Marvel comics, um, but not quite as sentient in that kind of way where it's like a, a swarm of bees constantly going. No, um, like a, it's, he's more like a force on him, onto himself. Yeah, that's it. he's more of like a, and like a shuffling, shambling zombie who's just full of bugs that are constantly feasting on what's left of his flesh and then being carried to other, play, other points to be able to feast on other the humans as well yeah. um and it's got that yeah that real shambling creepy horror kind of vibe that i love yeah the the weird uh camera cuts so it's the mo- movements are more jerky yeah it, um it reminded me honestly a lot of like an x-files kind of episode like a like not not so much a monster of the week but that kind of like less is more approach where it's like you show enough to unsettle people but you don't show everything. You don't show him, like, again, much like Swamp Thing, you don't show him constantly running around like, hey, I'm a giant pile of moss and, you know, body horror. And it's like, hey, I'm a giant pile of bugs. It's like, you show enough to show that there's lots of bugs and it's fucking creepy and gross. <laughs> yeah. And then you cut away. Yeah. It's like, you don't need to just show him constantly, like, walking around being like, I'm a giant pile of mo- bugs, blah, 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 blah. It's like, less is more. Yeah. And the, and the show really did so much with what it was given. In- yeah, and like you said, if you show too much not only do you as a viewer become accustomed to it and it's not as striking but also the more you see it the more chances you're going to light it wrong and it's going to look silly this is it and you know this this is the kind of thing that works so well with these kind of shows um it reminded me as well like the tone of the show it kind of had that vibe of um not so much carnival row or something like that but it had that kind of vibe of like riverdale with zomb- with like monsters yeah like it had more of the afterlife with archie kind of vibe yeah um carnival road does a decent job of it obviously being in victorian times where you've got like monsters just roaming around and you see the less you see them the better um uh, because they're supposed to be the downtrodden of society still so it's like there's that morlocks kind of vibe where they're under the radar and you see enough of them to understand all right yeah things are not cool um but yeah they did a great job with this i thought yeah and you know f- for the first half of the season, it starts off with that X Files. He like, here's this thing we're dealing with, and that, uh, there's a part where there's like a early on where a guy gets bitten by basically a corpse, and he's like, it's an infection that moves from person to person who gets scratched, and they get hallucinations of a bad memory, and eventually it ends back up in the swamp, courtesy of it infecting Abby, and she's aware, and it getting drawn back out of her by a swamp thing. But then, how much did that feel like a supernatural episode? Oh, so much. <laughs> like I could, I, I, if having watched all of Supernatural, it's right up there. Yeah. But by mid-season, they're like, no, 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 we're, it's time to move on with without these, you know, episodes of the week kind of thing. Yeah. And with the main thrust of the show, which what I will say, although they introduced the idea of the rot and the green and everything else, they never actually finalized in this first season. 
yeah, it's, way... not, it's not explicitly stated that they're like forces acting against each other or in con- in you know concert with each other or anything like that. Which is the only problem with a show being like ten episodes and only being one season at this point, is they never get a chance to actually establish full on the rules. Yeah, because they seem to lay the groundwork for what will be further developed for season two. Yeah, if that happens. If it doesn't happen though. It ends up leaving the first season and the show itself falling short of expectation. Yeah, that's which is it. a, it's sad because they've done a really great job. Yeah, um, yeah. Probably the main thing that we wanted to talk about was: Will there be a season two of this? Do you think? It's hard to say. They're having to do this restructure of the online thing from what was the DC Universe streaming app to HBO Max, which doesn't feature HBO, weirdly enough. enough, yeah. And it means they have to re-license this. They have to hope that the initial viewers on the season one pilot, that there wouldn't have been as many because people heard, oh, it's cut, I'm not even going to check it out. It should get a season two. They've done enough work. You need to get it sorted out now because you need to re-sign these actors for a second season. You're in a golden age of digital streaming. You should get your season two. I feel like it's got a good chance because they because of the way they've stumbled early. Doom Patrol has been confirmed for a second season. We know Titans is getting a season three, yep. and other series that have been in this weird grey area have all been yeah. just just to cover bases, renew it. And now it's on its new streaming platform. Well, this figure is, it out. Especially when you see things like Batwoman getting critically mauled. Like, nobody, not a single person I've talked to has enjoyed that show. And that's, I think, looking at getting confirmed for a second season. Yeah, which is they, madness to me. Yeah, they got their full season order from like 12 episodes to 22. Which is like, insanity. Yeah, and you're like, all right, fine. You know, take it past what will be the crossover, which will be like episode 10 or 11. I get it. See what you know if it's if it gains more viewers that way and it gains the end of the season. Yeah. But yeah, now talking about a season two with like I said, no one. We work in a comic book store and all we've heard from everyone is about how little they enjoyed this series. Yeah. Um, I think this would for me Swamp Thing would work really well as like a Just League Dark. Obviously, I don't I don't like that name. I think that name's a bit cheesy. Yeah. Um, but if you had like a Masters of Horror type anthology series and you could do some stuff with Swamp Thing, with John Constantine and those kind of characters and just tell some darker, weirder stories, almost like if they had a live action version of something like Just League Unlimited. Yeah. And you just had those episodes where you focused on... I mean, obviously, it would be a budgetary nightmare because you're trying to do multiple different spots and sets and that kind of thing. But I, th- I really think what most of these kind of companies dc and marvel in particular are missing is an anthology episodic type show like this where you have just random random characters popping up and getting to tell one and done stories yeah like, brave in the bold type exactly and if, if you get multiple like if a character pops up and an actor does a, such a good job that they go no we need more of this and the public response is so overwhelming that's probably a good way to test whether it's worth doing like miniseries or ongoing series or even movies. Yeah, because you know they do set up uh, played by Ein Zeeling, Blue Devil in this show. Yeah, of all people, of all characters, Blue Devil pops up, and I've got to be honest, Ian Zeeling does a great job. Yeah, he does a fantastic job for a dude who's only popped up in like Sharknados and Eight Legged Freaks and stuff like that. He does an awesome job in this. Yeah, and you know, like you said, Phantom Stranger, they really utilise him perfectly in this series. Yeah, uh, played by one of my favourite actors, Mason Blair as well. Uh, if you've never seen Blue Ruin or Green Room, 
for the love of God, check them out. They are fucking, they are unbelievably good films. Yeah, and that's what this show can really do. You can bring in, you can bring in your weird characters. You can bring in Satana; she fits. Yeah. You can bring in other mystical characters. Doctor Fate, Swamp Thing can move because the nature of nature. That, well, that's it's it. everywhere. Like, you it's, can you can do those kind of horror sort of things with, like you say, Zatanna with. Swamp Thing with Constantine, you can do weird cosmic stuff like Doctor Fate, Mister Miracle, Big Bard, or those kind of characters. Yeah, like you could do some weird, different stuff like that. And obviously, your budget's going to just dictate how much of that you're going to be able to do on like a grand scale. Yeah. But if you can at least get people familiar with the characters and be like, yeah, you know what, I actually would love to see more of that. The sky's the limit, surely, right? Yeah, and I think if they move with a more concise series as well, like this ten episodes, there's a lot of groundwork to cover. They've covered it now shrink it down to to more like a story arc like you would eat in your comics yeah, four definitely. or five episodes cover off what you're doing in there you know now you've got your season one out of the way really investigate the rules bring in the parliament of trees yeah and move it forward that's from it there. like develop the the rivalry of someone like floronic man and swamp thing have them kind of battling for control of the green um if you do if you haven't already got plans for Poison Ivy for the Batman film universe or the Harley Quinn film universe, let her pop up. Yeah. Have her pop up. She, she obviously showed up in Gotham as well as a version of that character. Um, imagine an entire like story arc based around Poison Ivy. Yeah, and like, then comes awesome. Animal Man. Yeah, that's it. If you can tie in all this kind of stuff, I think that'd be a real cool like, you know, potential. Yeah. The potential to do stuff would be fantastic. Yeah. And the important thing is it's a different flavor of show to what they have. You've got Titans, which is your serious super action thing. You've got Doom Patrol, which is kind of weird, out there, absurdist. Yeah. Swamp Thing could be that third one. Horror, dark, the unexplored areas of the world, the it's, DC world. Well, this is it. It's what Legends of Tomorrow really should have been. Like That became a, a kind of dumping ground, melting pot for different characters anyway use that to tell very different tonally like different sh- stories don't just make it another cw show yeah like, it's, it's just ridiculous why is that the same tone as arrow like you've got rip hunter the time traveler dragging people left right and center through the through the multiverse yeah but make it exactly the same tone as arrow and flash that seems ridiculous to me yeah yeah absolutely so we're getting to the end what do you give it out of five out of five um i'll probably go three and a half um purely because I enjoyed it, but um, if it doesn't get more at the, at the same time, I'm not like going to be heartbroken and like, oh no, this is one of my favorite shows. It's like, I enjoyed it, but if, if we get no more, I appreciate the attempt to shoot the shot. Yeah, I'm sitting on exactly the same. I really like it. Horror is not usually something I'm into, but it's when not it's really, done... Yeah, it's not really your wheelhouse usually, is it? No, but when it's done well, like this show is, like it, there were... The horror disappeared, the actual... The body horror and the gore. Yeah, 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 that disappeared for large stretches of the show, which is unfortunate. And, you know, it feels like so much was left on the table, which I think they could really capture on the second season. Yeah, I think especially if they went the the full-on streaming kind of platform with it and they realised how popular things like The Haunting of Hill House, there's that new um, French horror series, Marianne, which is is rating through the roof, and that's like a proper R-rated, gory horror sort of vibe. Um, Yeah if they realised that there was a, there was definitely an audience for this kind of stuff to be that level of gory and horrific, they maybe would have just kind of accepted it and pushed it forward rather than going for more of the kind of, you know, the usual kind of drama and conflict kind of vibe. Yeah. And it's also, other than the creature effects, which, again, they did phenomenally well on this show, 
they tend to be a little bit cheaper. I mean, horror tends to be a budget. It's yeah, and the whole less is more. Yeah, and most most horror shows and horror fanatics prefer practical effects, yeah. which are cheaper to do. So, like more, more most people that work on these kind of shows, they love the challenge of being able to find a way to do things cheaper with a pla- with a practical effect. Yeah, like that's that's their bread and butter. That's their whole raison d'être. Yeah. So let's just hope that second season gets picked up for not just the, this show's sake, but the fact that without a show like this as a launching platform, a bunch of those other side characters and the more Vertigo series tone will get missed. Yeah, that's it. The stuff will get lost in the shuffle and we'll just get a real kind of like bland melange of the same stuff. And I'm like, you've got such a diverse range of characters and stories from decades and decades of, of runs why would you not explore that and deep dive as much as humanly possible? Like, it seems mad to me. <laughs> Absolutely. What do I know, though? Yeah. Cool. Um, so final score from both of us is three and a half out of five on this one. Like I said before, if you've not bothered delving into the show because of it being cancelled, quote-unquote, or you just were not a huge horror fan or a Swamp Thing fan, um, at least check out the first two episodes. Um, I, if you can do them back-to-back, I actually recommend that. Um, you get a bit of everything in there. You get a little bit of the backstory on Abby. You get a bit of backstory on Swamp Thing himself and Alec Holland. You get that horror vibe. You get that creepy um, level of effect and tension and dread. Um, yeah, I I recommend checking it out. Definitely, definitely. Cool. Uh, that's pretty much us. Pretty much it from us this week. Um, I believe coming up, myself and Adam will be reviewing Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker. Um, yourself, what do you what do you what do you on the pipeline now, Jay? Uh, I think the next one up, I, I'm not certain. There's a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. We're just hammering out the details now. I think that uh, that calls for a, a call out for recommendations and suggestions. If you've got any ideas for what you'd like Jay and potentially Luke and Nathan and uh, Damien and many of our other cast of characters uh, to potentially review, uh, hit us up. Hit us up on the socials. Hit us up in the comments, queries, messages, all that kind of good stuff. Um, until then... I'm Gareth. I'm Jay. We'll catch you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.